Well, it's good to be here today. I think the sun may shine. It may peek through. There's a rumor of that. There's a rumor. <laughs> but anyway, glad you're here today. Uh, for you that I have not had a chance to say hi to, good morning, good morning, good morning. Glad you're here today. And we're continuing our study in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 20. Now, this is the church discipline section, but I'm approaching it a little bit different than what you've traditionally heard. So hopefully you won't throw rocks and tomatoes and everything else at me, but uh, that's what we're going to be studying today. And I want you to realize how important it is that you are here today to hear the Word of God. The Word of God being taught is one of the most essential things that you have in your life. You are given truth, and we're to take that truth in, and once we've heard it, we're to take actions and act on what we've heard. Not just be hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word. So if you would, stand for reading of the Word of God, the Jesus way to deal with the straying brother. And someone goes off the tracks, and it could be sister too, so anybody that goes off the track that's a Christian. Starting in verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. But if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that, you, that, that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in the midst of them. This is the word of God. Father, we thank you for your word, the infallible, inerrant word of the living God given to his people as a, as a, as a message to us on how to live in this fallen world. Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd open our spiritual eyes, soften our hearts. May we hear from you today. May everything for just a few moments be put aside, all the cares of the world, everything else put aside, and may we hear from you, our God. Touch us, Lord, in our area of need, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As you know, that the theme of Matthew is Jesus is the promised king. And one of these days, I say it every week, the king will come. The king will come, hip, hip, hooray. The king will come. Now, last week, we talked about who's greatest in the kingdom. And I don't know if you remember, but in order to be great in the kingdom, you have to first be converted to be part of the kingdom. So you have to be saved. That word conversion was mean turn around, turn around. It's very close to repentance. Remember, repentance is the word metanoia, and it means change of mind, which leads to a turn or a change in life. Well, being converted is that change in life. And then secondly, those who are converted must come to God humbly. There's no arrogance in coming to God. There's no, oh, God, I deserve to be in this. No, no, none of us are. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that seeks after God. There's none that does good. That's what it says in Romans chapter 3. We come because of the grace of God being poured out on us and inviting us into his family. Once we're converted, we're called something. We're called a born again. That's the vernacular in Christianese. You've been born again. That's what... Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, born again, your spirit has been given life, new life, and you are a born again baby Christian. And last week, Jesus was warning how significant it is not to offend, not to lead the baby Christians astray. He emphasized this in verse 6 last week. He said this, for those leading people astray, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Now, that sounds like Jesus is serious to me about not offending the babies. And in verse 8 and 9 last week, then he talks about hell for those who have offended the babies. And remember, he says, if, you're, if your hand causes you a problem, cut it out. If your eye is a problem, pluck it out. And he says, it's, it's, hell is terrible. It's eternal. It's awful. And there is a reality of hell for those who reject Jesus Christ as their Savior. How tragic when Jesus came to die for us and people say, I don't want that. I'll take my own way. I'll do it my own way. 
Many people today do not believe in hell. That does not change its existence. It does not change its existence. Humans that rebel against God will end up in that awful place. Jesus' truth is this. God has provided a rescue for every human. That rescue is his son, the Lord Jesus. And remember, Jesus' desire is that all be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And he's very clear in this. Those who lead little ones, new believers astray, are in danger of hell fire. Now, he talks about straying Christians. These are the babies that stray off. And he says this is the 99 and 1. Remember, he'll leave the 99 and go get the 1. It's in the context of the straying Christian. And remember, when you stray from the shepherd, you're going out where the wolves are. And what do the wolves want to do to the little baby sheep? Gobble them up. It's like Pac-Man. They want to, wants to gobble you up. They're out there. Jesus pursues those who are straying. Now, how does he do that? If you're a Christian and you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, how does he pursue you? Well, I would suggest you two things. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Because I think when we go off, we realize it. We realize that we're going off. And that Spirit convicts us. But if that doesn't work and you don't turn on your own, then there's discipline. Remember Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. He whom the Lord loves, he chastens, he disciplines. And then there was a warning in Hebrews 12, 8. If you are a legitimate son, you will be disciplined. If not, you will not be disciplined, and you are not a legitimate son or daughter of Christ. So the important thing here is that many people want to stray off into weird, strange doctrine. These are the ones that Jesus is teaching. He wants to protect the sheep. So how do we protect the sheep? Sound teaching, sound doctrine. Something that is not common in the church today is sound teaching on the Scripture. So that's what keeps people from straying. So whenever you stray, remember where you're going. You're going into the world away from God. Always straying in the world. And I have a picture here of Uncle Sam, and Uncle Sam is pointing this truth. The world wants you. And that is the facts. I mean, they want you to think like them, act like them, be like them, join them. That's what the world system wants. Sound teaching will, will protect you from the indoctrination of the world that is going on around us. Now, Jesus gives us a protection. If you want to be free, free from the tentacles of the world, and I'm telling you, the tentacles of the world grasp on to everybody, want to drag you back to that old way of acting and thinking. He says this in John chapter 8, 31. It'll come up on the screen. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you continue in my word, if you abide in my word, if you dwell in my word, if you make your home in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Yes, free at last. That's right. The wolves are all over the place trying to capture and devour. They want to control you. Whom Jesus has set free is free indeed, free from the trap of the wolves. Now, this week, we're going to deal with the straying brother. Now, remember, everything is about context. What have we been reading? Usually we get to Matthew 18, verse 15, and it's taken out of context. The context is the baby Christian straying. Whoever causes a baby to sin, you get the millstone around your neck. Don't despise the little ones in verse 10. Then he talks about the straying sheep. It's still in the context of the little ones straying away. So the context is leading a believer astray. And I think that they're being led astray into something that I have termed world think. World think. World think is this. World think is supported by the flesh. Because my flesh wants to go back to the world really bad. It's supported by the world system that wants you really bad. And of course, the demonic realm wants you in the world system, controlled by the ruler of this world, Satan, really bad. So those things are working against you. Now, you know you're thinking like the world 
when you start using this language. Now, tell me if you have not heard this before. Be true to yourself. The true you. You owe it to yourself. And this is a big one. Trust your feelings. Good grief. Trust your, you got to be kidding me. Trust your feelings. Trust your heart. Experiment. Test the waters. They're so beautiful out here in Sinland. It's so sweet and so wonderful and fun as your world unravels right before your eyes. Contrast this with God think. Big difference between world thinking and God thinking. God think is this. Be true to God and his word because he says, thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. Jesus, uh, the scripture says, I have been bought with a price. I owe my life to my God. What he says I do, not what I feel I do. Uh, what he says is what I do. So don't trust your heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And then we know this one. We learned this from Richard Farmer. I will trust in the Lord until I die. I do not want to be true to myself. When an immature believer goes astray, when they fall into world think, when they fall into doing my own thing, doing my own thing, there are steps that a believer takes to help this person who has been led astray, to bring them back on course. So what are we to do when someone justifies their sin? says, it's okay for me to walk in this way. We are to come to them through this process that Jesus will elucidate here. So step number one is go and tell him his fault. Verse 15. Now this sounds easy, but confronting face to face is way more difficult than talking behind somebody's back. Way more difficult. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, and go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Now, what does this mean? It means that you don't get on the phone and you tell umpteen thousand other people about what's going on to try to get their support. You go straight to that person alone. And again, this is often called church discipline, but I like to call it restoring the straying brother. And I think there's a big difference between disciplining and restoring. The Jesus way is that we address the issue. We tell the person their fault. The world's way, again, is that you go and gossip about the situation. You engender support from other people to support your cause. And, and, and again, we do something in this world that we see every day. Humans do when you're, when you're dealing with issues. In the political realm who the politicians use world speak all the time, they talk down everything that the opposing party does. There's absolutely nothing that Joe Biden can do right now. I would admit he doesn't do a whole lot right, but he's got to get something right in there. He, I know that he does. I just am having a hard time identifying, but he does. He does. Same thing with Trump. I mean, he had his own list of stuff. But the, the politicians are, everything is awful, awful, terrible, terrible. And there are some things that the Democrats do that's good, that Republicans do that's good, that the independents do that's good. But nobody recognizes that. All you hear is the negative, the negative, the negative, the negative campaigning, the spin to get a particular view. This is not the Jesus way. The Jesus way is someone sins against you. You go and you address that person mano a mano face-to-face, man-to-man. So the context is king. Now, this will come up on the screen. Context is king. The straying sheep, the wanderer. The wanderer is trying. Now, I think this is what's going on here. The wanderer is trying to lead a, another believer into believing their sin view. Always trying to get you to believe what somebody else believes, even though it's off. Leading them in a direction that derails them spiritually trying to derail you from a biblical worldview and accept a lost worldview. If someone tries to derail you, get you into world think, we are not to accept that. We are to address that. Now, remember this. Now, think about where you're living today. You are living in a world that is decidedly, decidedly post-Christian. 
This is not a Christian nation. That thing has passed a long time ago. Remember, the gods of this world have been invited in. Remember last week we had the Baal uh, Arch in Washington inviting the gods of this world in. That has what, that is what happens. That's transpired in America. And now the goal in, 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 in a lot of places is world think. And world think, folks, has invaded the church. The global church in America, when I'm talking about the church, generally speaking, it's the church to convince someone that the Bible isn't saying what it's plainly saying. Now, there's certain sins that we have, in, have in, embraced in our culture that people say that's not really a sin. Well, the Bible says it's a sin. So what is it? It's a sin. It's not a debatable, debatable topic. You tell him his fault. That means to reprove with conviction. And the goal here, listen to the goal, is to bring light and to expose something to someone about their position. Help them to recognize their error. Now, how are we to do this? Whenever we are dealing with somebody, we're coming to them. We are to do this with gentleness. We are to do this with respect. We are to do this with kindness. We are not to do it like this next picture. We aren't to do it like this guy. You don't come to somebody and saying, get right, get left, and start Bible thumping and hit them over the head with a crucifix or something. You're going to hell, you know, that, that whole thing. You are to do this with gentleness and respect. You might remind them that your ultimate destiny is if you turn away from the Lord Jesus Christ, that's where you'll end up. But you're not like screaming at them. You're doing it with some compassion about them losing the greatest gift they have, salvation. Straying brother or sister. Now, the goal is restoration, not destruction. Thomas Constable may help us with this in his teaching. He says this, quote, Our responsibility against our sinning brother is not created by the fact that he has wronged us, but by the fact that he has sinned and harmed himself. I thought that was good. Derailed himself. And again, it's done privately. And folks, if the person hears you, if the person actually hears you, jump up for joy, go home and journal. You have gained your brother. Most of the time, people will not hear you, will not hear you. And again, we are to do this with gentleness and respect. Now, I want to take a little journey here. What about church leaders that go off the rails? See, oftentimes church leaders have this mantra, mantra, whatever they say over and over, that don't touch God's anointed. And they can almost do whatever you want to No, no. Scripture is very clear. If someone brings an accusation against an elder, there's accountability at every level in Christianity. There's accountability. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 19 to 20, it tells us how to do this. This is important because there's many church leaders that go off the rails. There must be accountability within the body. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except by two or three witnesses. There has to be witnesses to this. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest may fear. So the qualifier here is that this must be taken seriously, but there must be witnesses. Why is that? Because Satan will do anything. If you can drum up any accusation by one person that isn't validated, you can destroy the body of Christ. You can destroy the bride. So it ha it's very important. Accountability is ne necessary, but also witnesses are necessary. So step number two, what if the person doesn't hear you and you go to him person to person and he will not hear where well, you're going to take somebody with you. So step number two is verse 16. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. This is referring back to Deuteronomy 19.15. Take with you one or two more. That's what you do. So you go there in a little bit of a group, and you're hoping to restore the brother. So the goal is for the wanderer, the one who's wandered off the path, to be restored to gain your brother. Now, again, you are to do this gently, not the hammer, not the screaming, get right or get left. It is to be done in a way that tries to draw them back to the truth. Step number three, if they won't listen, 
to the two or three that are they're going, then you tell it to the church, 17a. If he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church body. Everyone gets involved to try to convince the person to come back. And again, the hopes are for those believers this person has fellowshiped with can help him see, help him or her see the error of their ways. Of interest, this is the second time the word church is used in all the Gospels. The two times it's used, it's used in Matthew. Remember Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church, my ecclesia, my called out ones, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is a second use of this. You tell it to the church body, the called out ones, the assembly of believers. The purpose of the church. Now, what is the purpose of the church? Why do you come here? Are you coming here to be entertained? Let's try that again. <laughs> I want a little verbal here from you. Are you coming here to be entertained? No, pastor. No. Now, so it's, you should have a little somebody that's a little bit, a little bit of perk in them when they're doing this, but. Uh, you're not here to be entertained. It's not, it's not a world thing. It's not a world thing. It's not here to be entertained. It's not about joke telling, and it's not about storytelling. It's about the Word. We are not to look like, sound like, smell like the world. And many churches today look like, sound like, smell like the world in order to appeal to the world. Very different than what God's view of the church is. Now, I want you to think about the history of the church. Right out of the chute, the church had problems. In, in Ephesus, the church of Ephesus, the first church mentioned in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, they lost their first love, and they were influenced. They hated the Nicolaitans. The church in Pergamos loved the Nicolaitans. It kept going down, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos. They loved the Nicolaitans. What are the Nicolaitans? Nico means rule over laitans, the laity, rule over the people. This is where the priesthood came into effect. The priesthood where one person stands up and is the ruler over everyone, no accountability. There was a lot of sexual immorality in that. There was a lot of power. There was a lot of control. And Jesus said he hated the actions of the Nicolaitans. But you know what else he hates that he doesn't like that makes him nauseated? The Laodiceans, the Laodicean church. You know what that means? Ruled by the laity, ruled by the people. It's all about the people and not about Jesus, not about God. He doesn't like that one either. That's a predominant church, by the way, in the last days, and it's the predominant church for sure in the Western world. You go to Australia, prominent church is Laodicea. You go to Europe, Laodicea. You go to America, Laodicea. You go to Canada, I mean, Leo, Leo, Laodicea in Canada. But, you know, it is, re it is, that is the predominant church. Give the people what they want to hear. That is what that whole thing is about. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, you know what he said. I've said this many times. He told Timothy, preach the word, Timothy. Caruso, herald truth, Timothy, tell them the truth. Be preach the word in season and out of season to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful understanding. And then he says this, for the time will come, Timothy, when they will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, instead, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Oh, just tell me what I want to hear. Tell me how great I am. Tell me all about my best life now. Tell me how I can live prosperous and just enjoy this world. Folks, we're living in a fallen world, and if you enjoy being in this mess, then you've missed the boat. We're looking forward to a kingdom, not this world making us joyful and happy. Now, we can be joyful here. We can be joyful here. Jesus said these words I have spoken that me, you well, your, your joy may abound. Your joy may abound. You came to seek and to save the lost. Your joy may abound. You can live in this cesspool of sin and still be joyful because we're connected to the king. We're connected to the savior. But we don't live here to be part of this mess. 
We're to be separate from this mess. So the Laodiceans. And what did Jesus say he wanted that they, they, they made him feel? Sick. Spew you out of my mouth. They viewed themselves as rich, wealthy, in need of nothing in Revelation 3.17. And Jesus saw them as wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. What a difference. That is the predominant church today in our in the Western world in particular, the Laodicean church. You will not find this church in Iran. You'll be hard-pressed to find it in Iran. You'll be hard-pressed to find it in China. You'll be hard-pressed wherever there's persecution to find this church, the Laodicean church. There you find men and women of God all out for Christ because their life is at stake. Their life is at stake. Now, Jesus' church is quite different. It's the purpose of the church, come up on the slide, purpose of the church, threefold. Gosh, I hope you didn't see that. Because I said threefold, and this spit just went right out. I'm glad there's nobody right here. Anyway, so threefold. <laughs> glorify God. Glorify God, Ephesians 1.12, how we obey him. Edify, lift up the saints. How do we do that? Spiritual gifts. Everyone here that's born again in the family of God has a spiritual gift that you use to edify, to encourage other believers. It's symbiotic. You know, there's, there's all kinds of spiritual gifts. You may have one or two or so, but you get the benefit from all the other people with their spiritual gifts. Edify, encourage the saints. And number three is to evangelize the world. Yes, we actually tell our barber about Jesus. We actually tell those that we work with about Jesus. We actually tell those in our family that we love dearly who are running from God about Jesus. You do this as God opens the door for you. In the Jesus church, those believers who wander off into false teaching are to be pursued and, if possible, brought back into the fold. That is what we do. Now, step number four, the worst of all, no longer in fellowship. So, but if he refuses even to hear the church body, all the people going, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector, a lost person. Let him be to you as a heathen and a tax collector. Why must this happen? Why is Jesus saying this must happen within the church body? Their false beliefs could lead other people astray. Remember, a little leaven spoils the whole lump. Leaven is sin, a picture of sin. A little leaven in a body, if somebody says, oh, you can live that way and no one's addressing it, and somebody else says, oh, I like that, oh, I, you know, that has to be addressed before it spreads like wildfire within the body. Now, I would suggest to you, and I've been in this situation a long time, Usually when you get to this point, people aren't ready to hear you. Usually they're mad at you. Usually they leave in a huff. And it's about 100% true with this. They try to take other people with them. It isn't two seconds before they're on the phone telling other people how crummy you are, how unfair you have been, how you've lied, you're ignorant. You're, these are all the words they've given to me. Liar, ignorant mean-spirited, self-righteous, legalist, legalist. You actually believe that? Yes, I believe the Bible to be true. Yes, that's why we're doing this. Yes, this is the saddest of all. Those people that you have known, those people you fellowshiped with that have gotten deceived and go off into la-la land and refuse to hear the truth of the word. It's the saddest of all. Your attitude at this point is exceedingly, exceedingly important. It says in 2 Timothy 2.24, says it perfectly, Paul to Timothy, and the Lord's servant, that will be us, must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct, gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. That is what we do. Now, I'm going to talk to you about something that's even more controversial, and that's binding. 
binding. You have everybody wants to bind Satan. Bind Satan here, bind Satan here. Bind, this is a, I want to tell you up front, this has nothing to do with binding Satan in this context, okay? So let's read what it says. Verse 18 about binding. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So what do these words mean? Well, bind simply means forbid. Loose simply means permit. Whatever you forbid or permit, and I want to suggest to you, is in line with heaven, not with how you feel. It is in line with heaven. Matthew 16, 19, we went through the same type of vernacular. Binding and loosing, forbidding and permitting are in accordance with heaven, God's will, not my feelings or my will. This is important. And, it, and what God forbids, we forbid. What God permits, we permit. Now, in order to do this, what must you know and be familiar with? The Word of God. <laughs> That's a requisite for this, yes. God is all about restoring the wanderer, the one who's gone astray. This has nothing, nothing, nothing to do with binding Satan and everything to do with the straying brother. Now, in making a decision regarding the straying one, we're followed a process. There's a process that we're going through, the four-step process. The person straying and their response to your intervention will reveal the course of action. If reconciled, that is wonderful. That is great. You've won your brother. You've won your brother if reconciled. If not, then not being in fellowship is in line with heaven. The whole thing is in line with heaven. But that last stage, there comes a time when you just have to separate and can no longer fellowship with that person. Now, verse 19 and 20, this is another one that is misused. What about agreeing? What about agreeing? Verse 19 and 20. And again, I say to you that if two of you on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done to them, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Now think about that in my name. Two or three together. I'm going to really elaborate this in just a second. I think that's referring to what Jesus considers a church, a called out assembly. Two or three people, two or three more. It doesn't have to be a large group. Jesus is in your midst. It's kind of like a promise. I'll elaborate that in more in just a second. So people have used this verse, if two or three are gathered to have, together and they agree about anything, to have whatever you want. Oh, now, Brad, would you please get together with me and pray about my Mercedes? I, I really want that really bad. I, I do. And we agree. It's a promise. It's, a pro it's right here. It's a promise. No, this is not what this is talking about. It's not what it's talking. This is not a ticket to get what I want. Remember, the context is the straying, sinning brother. This has to do with the two of you agreeing about binding and loosening of the straying, sinning brother. That's what it is, it is about. The two are agreeing that the process has revealed what is to be done. There's a process that's going to tell you what to do. Let's go through it again personal, one-on-one, -on -one. tell them it's fault. That doesn't work, take two or more with you. That doesn't work, you tell the church. If that doesn't work, you've reached the point of no return, and you have to separate, the saddest of all. Now, all of these steps, this isn't that something that you're skipping through life, and you can't wait to confront the person. Oh, I can't wait to just level that guy out with these, with the truth of the word. No, that is not how we do it. This is bathed in prayer. This is, this is we're asking God, please help us to articulate our argument in a proper manner. Please help the heart to be receptive to what we are saying. Oh, God, please bring this person back in. Please help me to say the right things in this process. Things like that. If you do this, then you will know that Jesus is in your midst. If you do it the Jesus way. Now, a thought here is this. And this kind of hit me. 
where two or three are gathered together, again, a church body, comprising a church body, in my name, that's significant, I am in their midst. This adds another dynamic to this. This seems to me to go beyond the straying brother, and I believe can be applied to any situation where a gathering where brothers and sisters agree in unity, seeking God and his will, not my Mercedes, God and his will. That's what we're doing. Now, this may become more significant to you in the coming years or weeks or whoever knows what, what period of time. This is significant to those who are in the gulag in Russia. Where two or three, you can find two or three believers and how life-saving that would be. How about the church in Iran hiding in caves? and fields? That's very significant, two or three agreeing that God, Jesus is in their midst. When you are going through persecution, jungle hideouts, hiding in fields, this could become very significant. There is a Psalm 22.3 that says this. Listen to this. But you are holy, O God, enthroned, seated. That word seated is in the midst of, dwell in the praises of Israel. Extrapolate from that. You, you God, are holy. You are enthroned. You are enseated within this group of two or three people in the praises of your church. You can extrapolate from that. I think that would be a proper thing to do. There may be a day where finding another believer, a brother or a sister, that you can get together with and pray and seek God, that it could be life-saving to your spirit, and that Jesus will be in your midst. Now, I want you to think about this. This is taking a little bit of a different trail here, but just think about it. In church discipline, in dealing with the straying brother or sister, Scripture mentions two to two or three agreeing on an issue in unity. Two or three agreeing in unity. I've, what I got from this as I'm going through this study, the two or three in agreement may indicate this, that the elders are called to make this final decision, not the entire body. Now, why am I saying that? Think about this. Sheep, sheep, we're sheep. We're all sheep. Sheep are easily disturbed. Sheep run from conflict. Sheep run when they're frightened. That's what sheep do. Quick movements, loud noises, dogs in particular, will put sheep on the run. So how do you deal with sheep? You address them slowly. Talk softly. You approach them gently. That's how you deal with sheep. Now I want you to think about something. Most of you have come from churches that have a congregational rule. And if you've been in Christianity any length of time, you have had conflict within that body. And you may have had the body come together to try to resolve that conflict. And invariably, something like this happens. The snarling dog church meeting, that's what I'm calling it, the snarling dog church meeting where you try to resolve the conflict, many immature believers have a voice within that body with a loud voice and they stir up the sheep to go in their direction. And the whole place is in turmoil. And I think you can remember, if you've been in this mess, the awful emotions that flood your soul, the discomfort that you feel with this. What's wrong with this? What's wrong with our church? Where is Jesus in all this conflict? Where is he? You remember those. And folks, I'm telling you the truth here. Many sheep who've experienced these pitiful displays of Christendom never return to the church and say, I'm done with this. I won't come here anymore. Sheep are not equipped for conflict, folks. Shepherds are. And look, we're sheep too. But God has called us to do this. Called us to do this. To protect the sheep. Shepherds must protect the body from the tumult. Remember, sheep thrive in still waters. They will not, if they're dying, they will not drink in rushing water. They will die before they get into that. Sheep love the calmness. The stormy waters, the running waters, they will flee. They will flee. 
some closing thoughts. Dealing with straying believers is difficult. The whole church discipline thing is difficult. It's awful, but it's necessary. Jesus gave the example. He talks about the 99 and 1. Leave the 99, go get the strayer. Go get the one that's, that's going off. Seek the one who's been led into error. He has a prescribed way of doing it, the four steps. He has a prescribed attitude. We have the right attitude when we're doing this. It's to be gentle. We follow his steps. And the goal, the goal, the goal is to gain your brother. Gain your sister, not beat them into submission. People have used church discipline to get many things that they want. To resolve financial disagreements. They get their way in personal disagreements. I mean, I've had situations where they want you, you, the guy did painting for me, and he didn't paint right. I want church discipline. I'm going, hold it now. That, uh, really, I mean, you have a disagreement. You go to him, and you guys resolve the conflict. Now, elders may have a role in these situations, but folks, that's not what church discipline is. If somebody's sinning, leading other people astray, those are the ones you really address. People often use binding and loosing inappropriately. And I've heard this before. I bind you. I'm binding you. I, well, I double bind you. Well, I'm going to use bigger rope. I'm triple binding you. Mine's, you know. Yeah, give me a break. Binding. Binding is the context of the straying brother. Now, hear this. If you haven't heard anything else in the talk, this would be the time to focus. Okay, focus. We are living... In the Laodicean age. And I think you know that. Look around. At what people call the church. Compromised. Lukewarm. All about me church. This is filled. These churches are filled with teaching. That is not biblical. Pleasing the flesh. All about me. Cloaked in God talk. In Jesus speak. They'll use a lot of Jesus words. A lot of God talk. Many Christians are caving, left and right, caving and straying and wandering off to the Laodicean message, and they're becoming something that I have termed, this is not a word, this is a Rick word, a new word, Laodiceanized. You have become Laodiceanized. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 speaks of this. Now, we've heard this before because we've been here many times. But for the purpose of this talk, we'll go through it again. Now, the Spirit expressly says, means this will happen. This is a, this is a theta complete. Expressly says that in the latter times, as we get closer to the coming of Christ, some will depart, epistemize the word. It actually departs from the faith. And that word epistemize, if you look it up in the Zadiades Greek, it means that someone has fallen away from something that they never really possessed. Just a thought. Giving heed to, now listen to this, deceiving spirits. Now I want you to think about what has happened in America. Arch of Baal. Inviting the gods of this world in. The Baals, the Astras, the Destroyer. And saying you are welcomed in America today. Think about deceiving spirits. And doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. That is what we see today. Deceiving spirits in the church, drawing people away. Now think about this. They believe Satan's lies, opening themselves to deceiving spirits. When you reject the truth of the word of God. When this is not the emphasis and how you feel is the emphasis, you are opening yourself up to deceiving spirits. When you go back to your old thinking and your old ways, you are opening up yourself to deceiving spirits. When you agree with the world system that is pummeling you with information, wanting you to walk lockstep with that system, you have given over to deceiving spirits. These are real, folks. These are real entities that are working on the hearts and minds of humans on a 24-7 basis. 
24-7 basis. Entire denominations that were grounded in the faith in the past. Entire denominations are calling good evil and evil good. And the strayers, this will come up on the screen, want you to join them in their Laodiceanized message. Be like us. We're the big church. We must not. The false church embracing evil, calling good, good evil, and evil good, according to Isaiah 5.20. Now, you know what this list is. I've given you this list multiple times. It's common today when people say that gay marriage is approved by God. No, it's not. That's a Laodiceanized message. Now, we're not hating. We're simply telling the truth and standing on the truth. The greatest hate that we can do is affirm their sin. And as Jason said, I'm sorry, Jason, I got to pat you on the back every time because pat people on their way, on their head, on their way to hell. We can't do that. That is not love. That is actually hate. That they accuse us of being unloving, but it is loving to tell the truth. It's the right attitude. Abortion rights. Folks, and it is now depravity has gotten a transgender story hour. The legalization of drugs, pot, I think has been very detrimental. Believers living together outside of marriage, very common in the church today. Husbands not loving their wives as Christ loved the church. Wives not submitting to their husbands in a biblical manner, very common, very common today. Children, how about this one? Children running the home. That's, 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 that's like the rule, not the exception. That is the rule. Open borders, chaos in city, lawlessness. Folks, deceiving spirits have come in to the church. They have. They've come into the church. This is phase three of God giving people over to their sins. You know this. Romans one twenty eight says this. God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things which are not fitting. In Romans 1.24, it talks about the sexual revolution. Promiscuity started in the 60s. In, in, in Romans 1.26, it talks about men loving men and win, women loving women burning in their lust for one another. The homosexual agenda of the 1980s. And now you are in 2020s. And now you are seeing phase three, the debased mind. And the debased mind is something that is flabbergasting. Listen to this list. God gives people over to the sin that they want when they stiff arm him, stiff arm him, stiff arm him and says, I don't want you, God. You will not rule over me. And he says, okay, have your way. And that's what happens to people. Watch this. God gave him over to a debased mind, phase three, to do the things which are not fitting. Filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetous, maliciousness, full of envy, strife, deceit, evil mindedness, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, haters of the true God. We see this publicly now. Violent boasters, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, and so on. And then it says this, verse 32, hear this. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God. People know because they have the law written on their hearts. What is right and what is wrong. People know this intuitively. They know it intuitively. Knowing the righteous judgment of God. That those who practice such things. If this is your habitual way of life. Given over to way of life. Are deserving of death. Hell. Not only do the same. But this is the killer. But also approve of those who practice such things. Look at if you are giving tacit approval and saying, well, I don't really do that, but I believe it's your right to do that. I'm, I think it's okay that you do that. You're as guilty as the person doing the action. That's what it is saying here. That is a tragic thing that we have bought into this, this type of thinking. This is the point of no return. The Laodiceanites are blind to this, too concerned with my best life now. What are we to do with those who stray? Pursue them with the truth. Jude, verse 22 and 23, there'll be a picture. I just had 23 up here. But 22 and 23 says this. 
on some have compassion, making a distinction. Others save with fear, oh, pulling them out, the wandering stray, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled in the flesh. Pull them out of the fire. You must get involved, folks, to pull them out of the fire. Remember this. One word of truth dispels a world of lies. Os Guinness. This is how the end will be in this world. The church will be Laodiceanized, and there will be world think all over, and the true church will be persecuted. That's the truth. Embracing all kinds of evil, as it was in the days of Noah. And that goes even deeper than just evil. It is into this world that you are living now. That's the truth. You, man and woman of God, you stand for truth in this culture. Truth, justice, and the God way. And I love this little picture here. It was actually Superman. But we changed it. Chris changed it. And I said, oh, this would be a great. Truth, not just a fairy tale, folks, but a way of life. Truth, justice, and the God way. That is how we live in a Laodiceanized world. This, folks, is the Jesus way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to study your word. I know this has not been an easy teaching, but it has been a necessary teaching. So Holy Spirit, take what has been said, apply it to our hearts. I know that you touch us, God. You touch us. You do not leave us unscathed when we are come into the contact of the word of, the, of God. Your word will not return void, but will accomplish what you desire for it to accomplish. Now, Lord, may we just not be hearers, but doers of the word. Holy Spirit, do your work right now in each person. Whatever area God is speaking to you in right now, I would ask you to respond to him. If you do not know him as your savior, I ask you to respond to him. Jesus loves you, gave his life for you, desires for you to live with him forever. And all you have to do, he did all the work, is simply believe and receive the free gift. Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. I trust your death in my place on the cross. I put my trust in you, Lord Jesus. Please save me. You say that, you do that. You're born again, a baby Christian, starting on your journey of growth. I pray that if you do not know him, that you will. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.